Hi, I'm Lisa. Hi, I'm Andy. Hi, I'm Letty. And you're listening to Taxpayers Australia's news and insights podcast, Tax Wrap. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Tax Wrap, episode 48 this week. My name is Nathan. I'm joined by Lisa and Letty. How are we, guys? We're good. It's very hot in Melbourne today. Yeah, it's a beautiful day. They said it was going to be 35. Is that right? Something like that. Yeah. I don't know. I didn't leave the windows down in my car and the car park, so it might get quite hot around lunchtime. (laughs) I might have to go and air it out. But hope you haven't got any bananas or anything in there. No, no, no. (laughs) I don't think so. I keep it pretty clean. Um, Yeah, yeah, I run a pretty tight ship when it comes to my car. Anyway, this week we're talking about the employee versus contractor. Thing. I mean, there's a lot of rules going it's around a thing. about. It's a thing. It is absolutely yeah, it a, is thing. a thing. It's a vibe. I say it's a thing because it's very difficult for people to understand. Understandably so, because it is quite mm. complex and absolutely. a lot of tax rules um, that come down to the classification of whether somebody you hire is an employee or as a contractor. A friend of mine just started up uh, an electrical business, and uh, he had to decide whether he was going to take on apprentices or whether he was just going to hire out to contractors and then subcontractors to get the work done and he's doing a lot of domestic jobs and he said to me Nathan is it worthwhile hiring employees so hiring an apprentice or hiring a first grade electrician and then having an employee and then paying him a super guarantee yada 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 or hiring a contractor and I said first of all Jack I'm probably not the best person to ask (laughs) you can call up the friendly people at Taxpayers Australia and the helpline call and they'll be able to answer those kinds of questions for you But then I said, well, actually, it's interesting because if you hire someone as a contractor, you're still liable to pay them super guarantee. So you're not automatically exempt from that. And that's something that a lot of people don't know because, and that's just an example. I mean, there are a lot of rules going around and it's sort of difficult to understand. So that's why we're going through it this morning. We're going to to, uh, break it down a little bit and hopefully we all learn something. So what are the the common right out the gate distinctions between an employee and a contractor? Well, I must say, first of all, that your mate Jack is very, very wise to have a think about these issues before he even gets onto hiring people, rather than worrying about it after the fact. Because yeah. uh, the reason that why it's so important, as you've very rightly alluded to, is because there are very different tax and super obligations, both for the employer and also for the employee. So if everybody knows where they stand legally, then it just makes everybody's life easier. Absolutely. Now, and yeah. I think as well, Lady, what comes up is that um, the everyday person is probably pretty lax with what they call an employee or a contractor as well. And what can happen is, you know, even if you're called a contractor, you could still have attributes that are like an employee. So Absolutely. therefore, you're going to fall into the employee space when it comes to the myriad of taxes that this issue looks at. Because it's not just income taxes, we well know it's a, a lot of different uh, taxes, including fringe benefits and even the state payroll taxes that can it can impact. So, Letty, back to you. What do you, what's the main differences do you think people need to look at? Absolutely. So, uh, Lisa brings up a very good point that whatever's written on your contract, whether it's employee or contractor, is not necessarily going to be the case. So, um, whether you're an employee or a contractor, it's really determined by things that are determined under what we call common law. So. If you're an employee or if you hire an employee, then generally speaking, you've got the ability to actually um, delegate work to them. Uh, the employee themselves, though, cannot delegate work to other people and cannot subcontract work out. Now, that's not to say that within, within the workplace, the employee can't delegate work to their, to, to their subordinates, but they can't go ring a mate and say, hey, Nathan, um, how about I pay you to do my job for me? 
That could uh, be a good option though, couldn't it? That'd yeah. be great. <laughs> but if your mate uh, was able to do that, then he's probably a contractor because he gets to control how his work gets done and that might very well involve getting his mate Nathan to do it for him. Uh, now, there's also the basis of payment. For an employee, the worker is generally paid for the time worked or the number of days that they work um, or they may get a price uh, per item or activity or a commission for the amount of things that they sell. Yeah, and the other thing as well, Lady, is you know when we go on, we're looking at um, what tools you need to do your job. So, Absolutely. you know, when we come to work, we've got our computer and, uh, you know, our audio equipment that we're talking on now that's all provided to by Taxpayers Australia, where if we were a contractor or if Nathan was a contractor, he'd probably have these all in the back of his car and he'd bring them all in for us. So Absolutely. that's what we're looking at as being a diff- indifference. So that is a difference that the tax office actually looks at when they're trying to determine if someone uh, needs to be treated yeah. with employee tax rules or contractor tax exactly, rules. Exactly, Nathan. And the thing that gets used a lot of times in tax law and, th- and any sort of law is like on the balance of probabilities. Mm. Um, intention's another really good one. Like, you know, if it looks like a duck, it quacks like a duck, it's basically a duck. So that's yep. what the tax office is looking at. And there's no absolute black and white answer. So that doesn't mean that if Nathan brings in one thing from home, he's automatically a contractor. But generally speaking, if, if we were to sign an agreement with Nathan to uh, provide his uh, technical services to do these podcasts and Nathan says, yep, okay, well, I'll, I'll charge you a fee per podcast and I'll supply all the equipment and um, if anything happens to you, I'll wear the costs, I'll bear the legal responsibilities, then Nathan's probably a contractor. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing is talking about um, the, the risk associated with doing the job. Do you get paid an hourly rate or do you get paid to pr- produce a result? And that's another um, deciding factor as well, isn't it, Letty? Certainly. Uh, we also look at whether um, the worker is actually working quite independently from the business. So, yes, they may physically come into your office and sit there for the two weeks or three weeks or one month that they need to do to get the job done. But are they in effect, really working on their own uh, and just really selling their output to your business? Or are they part and parcel of the business, part of the furniture, so to speak? Yeah, so they're, they're, they're some of the you know the attributes that we've been talking about, Letty. But also, um, I think that what we get with a lot of helpline calls and things like that is the status of contractor can be absolutely a bona fide contractor in the way we're t- talking about it. But over time, they could flip into employee status, can't they? Certainly. Um, as it go- goes on. So that's where yeah. um, you've really got to monitor it. So yes. say, Nathan, for your mate, Jack, you know, if he's employing a contractor and it's and the contractor's not in, you know, Bob's name, but it's in Bob's company name mm. or something like that, that doesn't automatically mean that he's definitively a contractor. Oh, really? If he does solely work for your mate Jack, he could just then become mm. sort of like an employee or if then all of a sudden he gets paid on an hourly rate and not to wire a building or something like that, it could then fit into the employee space. Yes. So that would be similar to having someone on retainer kind of thing? Is that sort of what we're talking about? I mean, if, if, if I work as a contractor and I work solely for pretty much one company, if it ends up being that way, so you're saying that line between contractor and employee gets blurred and I see what you're saying there. So I guess... Retainer in the legal sense is probably not yeah, the best word to use. Of, it's sort of not a retainer. Rules. Yeah, it's got a whole different thing because you're not getting paid. You're basically getting paid to do nothing sometimes with retainer. <laughs> and we know people like that. Um, I actually wish we were people like that. But yeah, anyway, um, so yeah. what ends up happening is, say, for your, for your mate Jack's example, you might say Jack's business is just starting out, so he'll, he'll contract Bob to do some work for him. And then and it could be just 
two hours a week, you know, and then all of a sudden something, you know, gets a really, it wins a really good tender, and all of a sudden Bob's working 50 hours a week. That's mm. where you need to monitor it. Yes. So, yeah, Bob would have started off being a contractor, but when he's doing all his work for Jack, now starts smelling more like an employee. And mm. we also have to look at whether after winning that tender and Bob gets asked to work exclusively on that new project, whether Jack would say to Bob, hey, you're not allowed to work for any of my competitors or for anyone else, or if Bob is very much free to spend outside of that 50 hours a week, very much free to contract with any other um, uh, company that he wants to do similar work. So if we, if we move away from the sort of trade sphere, um, somewhere where I think the line gets blurred a little bit, gets a little bit muddy, at least uh, from my understanding is uh, Uber calls its drivers, people who work for Uber, are known as ride-sharing contractors. I mean, they go by many names, but essentially what they are is independent contractors. That's the way that the tax office sees them. So if we're talking about uh, working for Uber over a long period of time might make you an employee rather than a contractor. I mean, Uber drivers are sort of by their nature probably going to work for Uber for quite some time. I mean, that's the expectation. Some might just do it you know, every now and again, but there are Uber drivers that do Uber is their full-time occupation. So does that make them employees or do they remain contractors for the life of their engagement with Uber? They, they could uh, remain contractors for the life of their engagement with Uber. Uh, I suppose the distinction is not really necessarily based on the period of engagement, but you're correcting that it is absolutely a factor. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you could also go look at other things like the Uber driver is expected to provide their own car, expected to provide you know, insurance, petrol, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. It's not that Uber actually gives them a car to use, being, being the primary tool of that trade. Um, also look at whether that driver is taking all their own commercial risks. Um, once again, look at the insurance and who has to bear those costs and consequences if something happens. Um, and even if the Uber driver chooses to earn all the income from doing this one activity, do they actually have the freedom and the choice to just stop tomorrow? Do they have that choice to um, to take up any other field of employment that they want? Do they have a choice to basically do whatever they want? Yeah. I guess like the, the commercial risk and accountability thing is mm -hmm. a pretty good way of judging whether, I mean, it's a good way of setting apart the employee and contractor thing, just mm -hmm. basically because, I mean, if we go back to the, the trade example, if a contractor, if you hire a contractor, that contractor is responsible alone for the work that they Absolutely. do in conjunction with you. Same if they hire subcontractors, they're responsible for their subcontractors. So if you hire a contractor and they hire bad subcontractors yeah. and a job goes bad, then you have to wear that commercial risk. Correct. Whereas if you hire an employee and that employee stuffs up, well, it's the manager's problem. It's the person Absolutely. who owns the business's problem. Certainly. And I find that that's a good way for a lot of people to make the distinction. I think it's a lot of small businesses out there. I mean, if you take that sort of that approach and like you said before lisa if it looks and it smells that way then you know it's probably worth yeah, looking into yeah. a little bit closer but you're probably on the right track to, exactly. to classifying it properly it gives them the flexibility nathan and that's sort of the advice that you know i'd um say to small businesses you know don't commit to a full employee with you know all the fair work and all those sort of um legal parameters that you need to be in place you've got much more flexibility with a with a contractor um, but you do need to monitor it and I think for our tax practitioners out there it's a really good idea and uh, we'll use the term health check but it'd be really good to take a health check um, with um, you know any businesses any clients they've got that are in the service industry just to do a just a bit of a check make sure they're con who use a lot of contractors 
especially in like transport, um, that would then look at, okay, are they starting to move into the realm of an employee? Because that sets a whole other myriad of issues. So Letty, what what are the differences, you know, that they need to be aware of? You know, what's the tax obligations that are the, that, you know, could cause, um, uh, the companies to get into a bit of strife? Certainly. Well, PAYG withholding is a very big one. Oh, so yeah. if if you hire an employee, you as the employer, it's, it's your obligation, it's your legal obligation to pay the appropriate PAYG withholding out of um, their monthly or weekly pays. Um, if you're a contractor, you're generally responsible for your own tax obligations. The business that you're contracting with will pay you your, your due fees in charges and so forth but it's up to you to report your own income and and to pay um, any tax that's outstanding on that. Uh, Lisa mentioned before fringe benefits tax that only applies to employees and so if you're a contractor the business would generally not be liable for fringe benefits tax on we'll call them non-cash benefits that they give to you. Uh, Nathan you very correctly referenced superannuation so you're correcting that uh, there's a bit of a misconception out there that if you hire a contractor, you just don't have to pay any super. That's not technically correct. Um, you still have to pay uh, superannuation for a contractor if they're working under a contract that is wholly or principally for their labour. Um, so you don't have to pay super in as many circumstances as you do for an employee, but there are many circumstances in which you still do have to pay super. Mm-hmm. And one of my favourites as well, Lady, to add on to that is payroll tax. Because a lot of times we only think about the federal taxes, but the state-based taxes, payroll tax, is going to have another impact on there, especially if your contractors that flip to be employees are in different states. Absolutely. And I suppose you also, depending on the industry you're in, you also have to look at things like the your, your business's insurance policies or any regulations that govern your specific industry as well to see what they say about the people that you hire to do your work. Mm. So there's a myriad of um, taxes that we've talked about yeah. here that can impact and have a different compliance obligation depending on whether they're employees or contractors. That's right. And if businesses don't comply with their correct uh, legal obligations, um, then they're up for a whole range of penalties and fines from the ATO. Now, guys, we do have a webinar coming up next month on the 11th of November at 11.05, so just past the Remembrance Day uh, moment of silence, uh, on contractors versus employees. And basically, it's going to be the ultimate contractors versus employees uh, getting the tax right webinar. So we're going to cover everything that we've discussed in this podcast and, of course, more detail with case studies and examples. We're going to talk about superannuation obligations as they apply to both classifications, payroll tax. We're going to talk about pay-as-you-go withholding. And as I said, we're going to provide some case studies and examples. So if you join us for this webinar, you will leave comfortably and confidently knowing how to apply the tax rules to employees and contractors and also help your clients decide should they go with employees or should they go with contractors for their business. Um, it'll be a fantastic resource. Do you have anything else to add to that? It's a small price you pay for long-term security. Well, absolutely. And you don't want to get it wrong. I mean, from what I've heard from you guys, the, the penalties for getting it wrong are quite severe. And, and the ATO is looking at it at the moment. I mean, it's yeah. on their radar and they want to make sure that people have the information to do it properly, but also that they're not you know, doing the wrong thing. So we've got to get you compliant. And if you join us, uh, you'll get to that stage. Yeah. So you can sign up at our website at taxpayer.com.au. Fantastic. Now, the tax tip of the week this week applies to all those Uber drivers out there and to any tax agents or tax professionals, rather, who represent Uber drivers. It's probably something that's going to happen within the next couple of months. Uh, Lisa, 
Uber drivers now have to lodge a BAS. Now, what do they have to remember for the next couple of, next couple of months? So. Yeah, well, it's basically the, uh, the deadline for their first BAS. Um, it will be the 28th of October, Nathan. So um, for all those Uber drivers out there, the ATL have basically said you're taxi drivers. So therefore, for every dollar of Uber income, you've got to remit GST through your BAS. So uh, there's two things to do. You need to be compliant by the 28th of October and they will know who you are through data matching so there's no way to escape. Um, secondly, I would say that you need to find a tax agent or join Taxpayers Australia and we can help you out with how to fill out your first BAS statement. Um, look, it should be fairly straightforward, but the thing with BASs, which um, Former Minister for Small Business Bilson uh, said the other day is that there's a lot of other data that you need to put in there, which I think would be a um, could be like playing financial twister. That um, there's quite a few um, things you need to fill in, which will have no bearing on how much GST you need to remit to the ATO, but you still need to fill it in properly. So it could be a little bit more of a challenge than you'd expect. So um, either see a BAS agent or a tax agent recognised by the green swish or to call us at taxpayers. There you have it. Thanks for joining us on Tax Rap episode 48. Join us next week for 49. We're coming close to 50. Exciting.